Welcome to episode 134 of the Horror Pod Class. My name is Tyler Unsel. By day, I'm just an ordinary teacher, but by night, I transform into an ordinary teacher with crippling anxiety that likes to talk about spooky shit. So I'm joined tonight, as I am most nights, by the co-hostess with the mostest, the most salient skeleton I know, Oren Gray. Oren Gray, what's going on, man? Uh, what have you been up to? Mostly the usual, uh, although December is starting to sort of wind down compared to like the last couple of months. So that's been nice. I've done some things that were not just constantly right. So <laughs> yeah. Well, and it sounds like uh, it, just by social media and whatnot, you've had some stories come out in some periodicals. So it's, uh, yeah. you know, pretty cool to uh, see all of that stuff back out there and, and, you know, give everybody a chance to read your uh, excellent writing again. So I'm I I am thrilled uh, that you have been as busy as you have been <laughs> because it means we get to read uh, more excellent shit. So yeah, it's it's very very cool. Well, if you're joining us uh, for this first time uh, tonight, we really start our holiday countdown. We're going to present to you uh, two movies here in the month of December that kind of share some sort of Christmas theme. Uh, but before we get there, we are going to discuss what we're reading, uh, what we're watching, what we're really into right now. And then, like we do, we're going to break the boys into room 101 to learn about their bodies with Mr. Weiss, while the girls go to room 102 and learn about their bodies with Mrs. Owens. As we look at the state of sexual education through the eyes of the horror, uh, the, the Australian horror movie, Better Watch Out. But before we get to that, our main feature tonight, what have you been reading? What have you been watching? What's going on uh, in uh, Castle Grey? Before I answer that, I have to know, did you just like make up two teacher names or? Uh, no, this is a very true story. Uh, Mr. Weiss is the one that actually taught me, uh, like taught sex ed to me. And he was like this old, like army, uh, like soldier. And Naturally, right? I remember two things about him. All right. Number one. He was fucking ripped, right? And he had these huge pectoral muscles that he would tell us all were frogs in his pockets and he would make them jump up and down. It was so cool. Uh, but also, we got at during sex ed, okay? We got to ask questions, okay? And we could write them down on a piece of paper and give it to him. And he was already kind of embarrassed to be having, you know, the talk anyways. But uh, <laughs> somebody wrote down... Uh, when you, and this is the, the words used, and he repeated them all, right? But the kid wrote down, when you jack off, will it really make hair grow on your palms? And I remember Mr. Weiss showed us his palms and said, do you see any hair on my palms? <laughs> and I remember being absolutely fucking floored by that, right? I was like, oh my God. But in retrospect, how brave of Mr. Weiss, yeah, man. Yeah, that's actually great. That's actually like great, yeah. Yeah, and it was such a simple way to diffuse a really, you know, what what could have potentially been a really uh, embarrassing moment for everyone involved. Yeah, like yeah. he handled it with a plum. So yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and and I I have had Mrs. Owens, but uh, or I've had teachers named Mrs. Owens, but I don't remember who it was, who it was <laughs> in sixth grade. I've I've managed to block out everything except for the uh, the Harry Palms incident. So yeah. <laughs> Which sounds like, I don't know, a werewolf movie or something. Yeah, right, a right. Werewolf, a werewolf porno, possibly. I don't oh, know. I like it. I like it. Or how about a werewolf who only changes when he masturbates? Boom! 
Yeah. You can have that idea, whoever wants it. No, you can't. Uh, <laughs> pay me some money for it. Right, yeah, no, license that if you use it. <laughs> right, right. All right, so, uh, yeah, man, What uh, what's the news? Um, so, yeah, as far as what I've been reading and watching, it's unfortunately a whole lot of nothing again, although... I did uh, finally get around to watching the original Nightmare Alley, the one from 1947, um, so that I'm so that I'm ready for the the Guillermo del Toro one, um, whenever the hell it finally comes out. I don't actually remember when it comes out. Um, I think it's early January. Yeah, I think so too. That sounds right. Um, but yeah, it was it was like it's been on my list forever. Like it's it's one of those ones that I've been aware of for. I don't know, as long as Guillermo Toro's been talking about remaking it, which is many years. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it was really good. Uh, so yeah, I finally got around watching that. I, I have heard, uh, I haven't, there hasn't been a critic screening, at least that I know of, here in Kansas City, but uh, I've heard from some other movie critic buddies that uh, Nightmare Alley is very, very good, but very different from the original stuff. So, you know, uh, take that with a grain of salt. And I mean, it's going to look way different. Like, right. Like just from the trailer, like the, the visuals are turned up like a million times. The original, it's mostly pretty simple visuals. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, so. I, I'm stoked for it. So yeah. it's going to be going to be good stuff. Well, I, I, too, I think have suffered a bit from uh, like either not having enough time or like really be invested in trying to get caught up. But uh, I saw uh, the first thing I want to mention is I saw Paul Verhoeven's new, I think they're calling it an erotic thriller. Uh, it's Benedetta and it is uh, definitely is horror adjacent. Uh, there are mm. horrific elements to it. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it takes place in a monastery. Um, there are a lot of, there, like, there's no, there's no classy way to put this. Um, there are a whole lot of boobs in this film, like a whole lot. I mean, you already said Paul Verhoeven made it. So yeah, right, you, right, right. You don't have to repeat yourself. Right? <laughs> but, 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 like the male gaze, at least Paul Verhoeven's male gaze, right, <laughs> is like, you know, like the stereotype that some guys are butt guys, and some guys are boob guys, some guys are intellect and all around or you know whatever that is less gross and misogynistic like dude paul verhoeven is a boobs guy it was like oh 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 i like i i genuinely think there's more of this movie that has boobs than don't <laughs> and Man, i always feel like and you know for the most part it's been borne out in large in large part but like i, I always feel like everything paul verhoeven does is always it's always a situation of like Oh, you want this? Here, have too much of it. Yeah, right. And and no matter what it is, whether it's violence, whether it's boobs, what whatever it is, it's like, oh, oh, you think you want this, huh? Have way more than you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, when you come home, uh, like you come home drunk when you're in high school or whatever, and your parents are like, oh, you like to drink? Well, we're gonna make it drink until you throw up or whatever, you know. And it's right, like, yeah. oh, yep. maybe yeah. I don't like that alcohol anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and the thing about his work that I can appreciate is when we initially watch it, right? Like Starship Troopers. When we initially watch it, uh, like it was a weird mix of people that really enjoyed that movie when it first came out. And I got to tell you, most of those people didn't love, right? They were super like kind of 
you know, like go get um macho military types, right? But as that movie has stayed in the cultural zeitgeist, more people have realized that it's really like an anti-war film, right? And oh, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's got all this wonderful subtext. And, you know, more or less, there was a great documentary that came out called, uh, I think it was like, My Name is Naomi, but, uh, or Nomi, about the making of Showgirls. And essentially, the, it functions the same way as a discussion of exploitation. Uh, and I have no doubt as we percolate on Benedetta that we will come back and it will be bigger than it is. Cause there's a lot of religion in it and a lot of discussions of faith and uh, male yeah, I mean, dominated faith. So yeah. I've seen people comparing it to the devils, which is both a really high bar to set, but also, yeah. you know, definitely makes me like excited to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see the parallels there. Um, and I, I mean, I've also like never not liked a Paul Verhoeven movie. Yeah. I've liked every movie of his I've seen. Yeah, and yes, uh, that is fair. To be to be perfectly honest, though, I think when Showgirls came out, I think I was like fifteen or sixteen. So I liked it for the like the the very surface level. I was like, oh, yeah. this girl from Saved by the oh, Bell that I <laughs> yeah right right. Yeah. right. Yeah. It's like that that sounds like my thing because it's every heterosexual you know male's thing at fifteen or sixteen. So it is what it is, right? Well, especially back. I mean, back then because we didn't have the internet the way we do now, right? Exactly. So, you, know, you had to watch like R-rated movies if you wanted to see boobs. Yeah. Or whatever, right? Like, yeah. you know. Uh, um, the good old days. The good old days. <laughs> now, uh, I actually didn't see, I actually didn't see Showgirls until like recently, um, at, by which I mean like in the last five or six years. And hilariously, the reason I finally saw it, besides that I generally like Paul Verhoeven, but it was like super long, so I just never got around to it. Yeah. Um, is that like, Sylvia Moreno Garcia, it's like one of her favorite movies. She talks oh, about wow. all the time. Okay. So she finally convinced me. She finally convinced me to watch it. Oh man. I, I think it has been uh I saw that documentary, which is essentially like there are no talking heads in that documentary. It's just like people talking over clips of the movie, so you really feel like you're watching most of the movie and you kind of are. Uh mm-hmm. so I saw that a few years ago, but I haven't watched it straight through in a while. Maybe it's time. Maybe I'll uh get the 14 year old up there and uh, <laughs> slot in showgirls and we'll all be uncomfortable for two and a half hours. Yep. It'd be great. Just, yeah. Just, just, uh, you know, get the 14 year old up there and, and show him just a pull string of Paul Verhoeven movies and make everyone hate everything. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, dude, my dad is super weird. He probably already thinks that that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the other thing that I a hundred percent wanted to mention, cause I just finished it today and it's going to be that like, going to be that artifact that i talk about forever and ever and ever it is a book called tribe by sebastian younger and it is not a horror novel um not on face it's essentially a nonfiction novel that explores uh how we form our tribes uh how modern american society kind of pulls us away from the sense of community and how that leads to mental illness, it leads to PTSD, it leads to these things that are kind of um, front and center, it seems like, after COVID. Uh, but also, like, his thesis is essentially, like, um, part of the reason why our soldiers suffer so much when they come home is that we are effectively with, at war with one another when they come home. So not only do they feel displaced from their community, but also their community is, like, fucking hates one another and uh 
so anyways, the, the kind of tie in here to the to the horror pod class is the last chapter of the book he devotes to. He, he speaks very specifically uh, about a handful of Indian nations that got colonized by the United States and the genocide that happened and the subsequent uh, relocation to reservations. And he talked about um, specifically how like warriors in uh, like the Iroquois Nation and the Cherokee Nation um, had functional roles in the community in times that weren't war, right? Like they were hunters and gatherers, they were providers, they, you know, did the muscle and that kind of stuff, but they, they didn't serve as warriors, but still had a place. And he hypothesizes that that is part of the reason why some soldiers um, struggle more with PTSD or, or fitting back into our society. And he talks about the myth of the skinwalker and how that is really prevalent in reservation or early reservation era Native American work. And we saw a rash of young Indian men uh, kill one another, kill their families. Uh, and, and essentially, that's what gave rise to the idea of a skinwalker, right? This, this perfectly normal thing that could turn into a wild animal and kill people, you know, whatever, right? And his argument is that's exactly what's happening to young men that are doing these mass shootings now, that uh, our skinwalkers are these individuals. And it was like, a, a, like I'm listening to this book on tape, right? And I'm uh, like on my, you know, like my elliptical. And uh, I'm like, holy shit. Like it was like a lightning bolt. And I'm like, it's absolutely what is happening just in different words, right? These, these kids, for the most part, feel without purpose. They feel without tribe. And uh, because they got no skin in the game, they shoot folks up. And uh, both both my wife and I are teachers and school shootings have been, you know, a part of the family conversations this last week or two. And I don't know. I encourage everyone. It is a fantastic book. But go check out Tribe by Sebastian Younger because it is goddamn amazing. All right. Well. <laughs> talking about something serious to, 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 to this film tonight. Uh, but before uh, we get into our analysis of uh, t- uh, Better Watch Out, our essential question tonight is going to be, what can Better Watch Out tell us about the state of sex education in the United States? Let's check out the trailer. Want to put her in the mood? Watch your horror movie. Do. She's like twice our age. I really don't think it's gonna happen. She's here. You are breathtaking. <laughs> Thank you. Now don't stay up and watch scary movies, okay? It'll give you nightmares again. So what do you want to do? Ricky, why can't you just leave me alone? He's such a jerk. Don't hang up on me. What was that? What the fuck? There's some there. Ashley! Are you hiding? I'll find you. Don't worry, I'll protect you.
What are you doing, man? Please let me out of this. You're fucking home alone again? Lighten the fuck up. Exes just go away. All right. So before we get into our graphic descriptions or uh, you know whatever of of our own sex ed, I guess we've already covered mine. But uh, you came up with this film. I'm curious to hear your thought process. Um. Honestly, so like I was just trying to come up with a Christmas horror movie. <laughs> It was fairly right. recent that okay. we hadn't already covered. All right. Like, um, that's fair. You know, I, there's tons of Christmas horror movies, right? But like, this is one of the ones that I remembered from, you know, the last five or six years. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I also wanted to hit like, there's movies that take place on Christmas. And then there's movies that are like really, really hammer home that they take place on Christmas. And so I wanted something that was like, you know constantly christmas lights and fake snow and yeah. decorations and shit like the whole time um, yeah well that uh that uh, uh, in prep for this episode i listened to a lot of interviews and read a bunch of stuff uh with the director and he discusses in detail all of that uh fake snow right because the the kind of one myth around the set of this film is that it was the very last and largest um soundproof soundstage uh, in Fox in Australia. All right. Uh, and they didn't have air conditioning. So <laughs> it's like 120 degrees outside and people would be so thrilled to go lay down in the snow, but it was just like gel and whatever, like they like the kind of paper snowflakes that they like. Right. So everybody was excited to lay down in it. And then they were like, Oh, this is terrible. We don't want to lay down in it anymore. Yeah. I mean, and, I remember, I remember uh, Krampus like listening to the, commentary on Krampus that like they had to have so much fake snow for Krampus, right? That they couldn't use what they would normally use for all of it. So they like used shredded up diaper material oh, for God. a bunch of it. <laughs> that sounds uh, equally as miserable, maybe. <laughs> well, like I think what is very true about this film and you kind of mentioned it in why you chose it. It's very glitzy, right? Like it, it, it looks very polished it's very bright it's very um for lack of a better word it's it's very cinematic you know like it mm. it looks like a really crisp movie and like I, I i'm a little surprised that chris peckover the director uh hasn't directed anything since so yeah, it's weird yeah and i don't think this did super well but um but yeah, like it, it's a movie that looks really good. Like it looks, it looks more expensive than it is because yeah. I mean, you know, it's a very simple movie. It's got like four characters basically and um, one location for all intents and purposes. Yep. Um, you could like, you could do the whole movie on one stage basically. Mm -hmm. um, but because it is so bright, because it is so put together that one stage it looks really good it looks like an expensive movie that's just very small yeah <laughs> which, which is uh, like the great irony is over the overwhelming majority of this budget budget 
was spent on building that house. And they essentially right. just built that, you know, built the house on that soundstage. Right. And admittedly, I think that's part of the reason why it looks so great. Like, it, yeah. it, I mean, it's it's absolutely fantastic. Before we get too in-depth, I wanted to mention the Internet Movie Database summary of this film. I might add it is available for free. I watched it available on Peacock. So uh, if you have a Peacock membership, which I, I think it's also on, do. It was on Shudder, but won't be anymore by the time this episode comes out, I think. But it's still on Prime, I believe, too. So. Great. Very good. All right. So the summary is, on a quiet suburban street, a babysitter must defend a 12-year-old boy from intruders, only to discover it's far from a normal home invasion. So, Which, uh, I guess yeah. is technically an accurate description. Sorry. Yeah, I, I thought they were going to lean completely away from uh, uh, any kind of spoilers, and that was uh, bravo, but they kind of ruined it at the end. That, so, go ahead. I was just going to say, I saw this the first time in a theater when it first came out, like before it actually even came out, during like a preview screening, like before its, its official release date, whenever that was completely cold I oh wow one person on twitter one film person on twitter say go see this movie it's really good go see it cold and it happened to be playing with the screenland so i went and it was you know it was around christmas it was a horror movie so i went and like all i knew was about that one sentence synopsis more or less and that was it and i had a great time good good all right i had a great time I've tried to rewatch it since a couple of times. This will probably be about the second time I've rewatched it since, and it does not hold up as well when right. you know the twist. Like the the twist is this is a movie that lives and dies on that surprise, yeah, to a large extent. Um, and, and I, I I think to effectively talk about it, we're uh, we're oh, going to yeah, spoil one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, feel free um, to spoil. But also like. It's a movie that has a bunch of problems. Um, (laughs) And those problems are baked into that twist in ways where, like, I didn't notice them as much the first time through because it was sweeping my legs out from under me. But when I rewatched it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I completely see why some people fucking hate this movie. Oh, yeah. Because there are people who just, like, hate this movie. And I get it. Like, I am yeah. not there, but I totally get it. Um, yeah, so it's initial, it got its North American premiere at Fantastic Fest. And what is most noticeable, looking at reactions from that period when it came out, it I, I think, in, in uh, Fantastic Fest is known for these really bonker films, right? Like, these really out there things. So its audience is expecting really wonky things. Uh, it was the most mixed I have ever seen a movie come out of that and like people loved it or people were like that was a piece of shit i am offended that i had to sit through two minutes of it and i was like oh yeah yikes and and and, and i get both i really do like there's a part of me that gets both um and i think most of the reactions i've seen that are really negative come down essentially to wanting to see the villain punished oh yeah Like, because the villain is, like, Levi Miller does a great job playing this villain. He does a fantastic job playing one of the most hateable people ever put on film. Yeah. Like, he is one of the most despicable 
awful, repulsive people in a movie ever. Just he is fucking horrible. Yeah. But but he doesn't suffer for it at all in the film. Uh-uh. Like there's an implied comeuppance after it. And I think honestly that it would have been both a stronger film and would have alienated fewer people if it had not included the mid credit stinger. Oh fuck. I don't know if I've ever seen the mid credits uh, stinger. So, wow. How do so I not know about this? Tell me about uh, it. So, so it cuts. And okay. So should we summarize the movie? Yeah, do it. Do, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so, so the premise of the movie is essentially like there's this, there's this older girl. She's, a teenager she's 17 18 i think she's about to head off to college so maybe so like yeah so like 18 or something she's babysitting this 12 year old boy and there is what appears initially to be a home invasion that happens um but it turns out that it's this boy and his friend staging a home invasion because he wants to sleep with his babysitter essentially right and as the night progresses his motives become are revealed to be more and more suspect suspect until it becomes clear that he is just a horrible soulless sociopath yeah like who always planned to commit a bunch of murders this night including her yep um and uh at the end it looks like he's killed her and then they they you know, he, he stages it so that it looks like someone broke in and killed her and all this stuff. And he's been in bed the whole time. But um, then at the very last minute, you know, that you hear the authorities say, oh, one of them's alive. And you see them taking her out in a stretcher and she flips him off. Mm-hmm. And that's where the credits roll. Yep. That's where I thought we were at. Yep. Yeah. And then about, ten, I don't know, five or ten minutes into the credits, there's a mid credit stinger where he goes to his mom and says, you know, oh, I'm really worried about this girl. We should go see her in the hospital. Implying again, that he's going to try to finish. Gonna go the train, train and finish the job. Right. Um, which, you know, again, I think that, I think that it's still reasonable to assume that she eventually tells the authorities that it was him and that he doesn't succeed at this. But I think that leaving it on her flipping them off, like leaving it on her beating him essentially yep. would yep. have made people happier with it. Um, I think that's totally fair. Yeah. But also like, again, he's just so reprehensible yeah. that I think a lot of people hate the movie just because they hate him so yeah. much. Well, and, and he represents so much culturally the thing that we hate, right? This kind of, spoiled kid that kind of always gets his way and certainly within the context of the movie views women generally as objects that are that are to be conquered or won or whatever and uh yeah man like uh that i i think the movie is working really hard to frame him that way to remove any sympathy by the end of the movie you know absolutely yeah and i mean and it it was it was a movie that i saw in a year that i also saw um oh was it called like my cousin rachel i think is what it was called um uh, a kind of a gothic romance movie um with uh the lady from the the mummy the brendan fraser mummy um oh yeah okay Um, i want to say it's called my cousin rachel my cousin something 
Um, anyway, uh, both movies, both movies did, did a similar thing where you had this character who seems like a legitimately nice guy, essentially, um, early on and becomes progressively more and more obvious that he's actually this entitled monster essentially. Right. Like, which is exactly what this guy is like, right? He's, he's the, he's the stereotype of the, the incel guy right exactly doesn't know why women always date assholes when he's so nice to them when really he's a horrible fucking monster with a void for a soul (laughs) you know like i mean fundamentally you know like this this kid is anyway right he 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 doesn't he doesn't actually he's not actually nice to them he's attempting to manipulate them yeah well and i i i think the movie does some interesting things right and i i very easily when we get to the two movies we thought uh, would go along nicely with this, the, the easy response and the thing that you get, kind of the log line that they gave during the press tour was, it's like Scream meets Home Alone. And uh, I think the Home Alone stuff fits really well. I think the Scream stuff feels a little more shoehorned in there. But like, think if Macaulay Culkin's character in Home Alone uh, not only did all those things to those robbers, took glee in beating them, but also like ultimately killed them and then took glee in all the pain and like murder that he committed. Right. Right. But, but also maybe turn it around so that like the robbers were the ones that uh, lived in the house because there's not, not even a good premise of which he's doing all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Make it, make it so that instead he lured them into the house. Yeah. That's literally what he does in this movie with everyone, but her. Right. right, he tricks everyone else he kills into coming there. Right, um, and then he's got the house all set up perfectly so that right. he can, uh, you know, get away with it or, or right. whatnot. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing about the film that I think I really enjoyed. We're given no context to why this kid is a sociopath, right? No. Like, uh, for the most part, we get a little bit of the relationship between mom and dad with the. Uh, what feels like uh, some kind of fun but pot shoddy humor about like the ornaments that the dad likes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like contextually, we don't know. We think mom's pretty doting. We don't get much of a relationship with dad. The movie is not worried about, nor does it want to set up why he is the way he is. The assumption is he just is like that, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's a pretty brave choice and an interesting one for sure. Yeah. And I mean, we get, we get a couple of like, as the movie progresses, we get a couple of moments that explain not, not why he is, but that he has been for a long time, that this is not a snap. Right. Like yeah. the, the one where he, he murdered, like he, he did the classic serial killer thing of harming small animals. Exactly. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he had the weird, uh, almost edible fixation with his mom, tucking him into bed that he tells her about at the end, um, you know things like that. Um, I mean, you so you get these like moments, but they're just like suggesting that he's always been messed up, right, or at least right. for a long time. Yeah, that this is not a thing that came out of the blue. Yeah, it's just percolating. Yeah, and and, and you're a hundred percent right. Uh, the actor that plays him is is very 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 good. And uh, has been in a bunch of other stuff. I didn't write down a, a ton, but uh, 
I he was. Went. Go ahead. Oh, I just, he was. Uh, he was Pan and the. He was Peter Pan and the the fucking weird Peter Pan. Oh, movie. did you see that one? The, oh my like, god, it's, it is. It is legitimately like having brain damage watching that movie. Like, oh, all right. Like, I I had to shut that movie down and go, "What the fuck?" Like four or five times before it was oh. done. It is so weird and not good. It's terrible, but it is so weird. Oh my oh, god, it is. I, so I kind of like I kind of like weird films. All right. <laughs> uh, he's in uh, the new Amazon show that started. Uh, Oh, last year, I think, uh, Wrinkle in Time, based off of the oh, series yeah. of very famous YA novels. But I will tell you who I was most excited about uh, seeing again and, and recognizing where I saw her from before is Olivia de Jong, who stars as kind of the lead in um, M. Night Shyamalan's like, grandparent horror film called The Visit, uh, which is... That, like hands down top 10 one of my favorite films of all time and <laughs> she's great in it and, and like i you know the the visit is the movie that kind of invited m night back into the fold so that he could in turn uh make old this last summer which i actually kind of enjoyed but i think has now got him kicked back out of back into know. director jail yeah. right right although i think he's got some other shit coming go coming out so I'm I'm an M Night apologist. I, for the most part, I have enjoyed uh, every single one of his film films. Maybe not the Last Airbender, but if I'm being fair, I didn't see that. So you know, whatever. It was yeah, an you, easy you one for me to skip. It. But I like uh, Olivia De Jong in the visit has this moment where her grandma is walking around the house naked and like yelling at people that aren't there. And it's just this like look of like, not fear necessarily, but like, oh fuck, what am I going to do? You know, like, oh God. And like, she doesn't know her grandma all that well anyways. And I, I just love like the hopelessness of being in this unfamiliar area and knowing that you're going to have to fucking do something, but you're like, oh God. So, and and I I think she's great in this film. Go ahead. Yeah. She's fantastic. I was going to say like, she's fantastic in this too. Like as much as this movie has like, five characters basically it really only has two true it's really just her and levi miller's characters and that's like almost all of the of the the dynamic of the film comes from those two and she as much as he's the sort of the one who gets to showboat like she is every bit as equal in all yeah. the scenes like you know she she's great she does a great yeah job. and she's got to do 90 percent of it like tied to a fucking chair right so. yeah she's just most of it taped to a chair frequently with her mouth taped shut so right yeah. right yeah well and what i appreciate about the direction of the film but also about the performances i think there could have been this movie could have been skeezy in in that like if there there isn't a moment where she gives in to him like she's like oh yeah i'll totally you know whatever like really truly does right. that right and so there's never this kind of sexual tension that the age difference would make skeevy but also the power dynamic of that situation would make it even more problematic and, and like i think that took a, a level of restraint and in that way the movie is better off for it you know right 
I mean, there's a, there's a really good example of that actually. There's a scene where because mostly he doesn't he doesn't inflict any kind of sexual violence on her for the most right. part because the movie does a pretty good job of keeping him a twelve year old even if he is also a complete psychopath as a twelve yep. year old. Like, but um, so like he's he's slightly off, like he's off footed about the notion of doing anything with her, even though he wants to. Yeah. Just yeah. like you would be at that age. But but there's this there's a scene where um they're they're playing truth or dare, ostensibly, right? Mm-hmm. Um and he he his friend dares him to like touch her boob or whatever. And he does and and a really good example of of what you're saying is that you don't see it, you the viewer. Exactly, yeah. Like you see, you see, you know, over like I think it's like over his shoulders, and then you see her expression. Uh huh. Um, but you don't see what he's doing at all. You don't see him touching her. You don't see. There's no sexualization of that scene. All you see is her disgust. Yeah. At it, and and so it it really helps to prevent it from becoming titillating. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's it. and that's a great word to describe what all of that lacks and it's on purpose right right? a you don't see it b it feels very mechanical and very uh like it's i think a relatively quick thing right and the what i found the most problematic about any of that was the way he talked about and to her in regards to women right like there's this conversation in the beginning uh where I was I was checking out like a few days ago I was checking out this movie when I first got to school and I was like okay I'm gonna watch it in parts you know it was like I had 20 or 30 minutes before kids came in and I'm watching this movie and a kid trickled in right as he's like yeah dude horror movies are the best way to get girls wet or whatever and I was like oh my god and and the kid like turned to me and I was like it's something it's a different project don't worry about it yeah yeah but like uh (laughs) The language, and again, those those of you that have been listening for a while, I got I got no problems with coarse language, but like, it it is by far worse than anything that you see. Right. I mean, and there's a really good example, actually. Um, again, of that. So, like, when, and hey, we're actually kind of talking about the the question, the, the question. Go, go us. <laughs> um, when uh, when she first is waking up. From like when they knock her out and she tries to escape initially and they knock her out and she's first waking up. Um they are talking, they they are playing like fuck Mary Kill or whatever, I, the two yeah. the two boys, and they're talking about um the like bubblegum princess or whatever from Adventure Yeah, yeah and, right. Like the way they talk about this fictional character is so grotesquely dehumanizing. Uh-huh. Um, and it's such a good, like, way to reintroduce her to this situation mm-hmm. as like, it's the first thing she hears when she's first waking up and it, it puts you, the viewer very much in the, like, this is how they are thinking of her as this very not human thing. You know? Yeah. Like, well, and as the the father of an adolescent child. Right. And, uh, you know, one that I see now every day cause he goes to high school with me, like in, in discussing what sexual education is not only both at, at school, but also at home, it's so much more than 
uh, especially now. It's so much more than you're going to get hair on your balls and your voice is going to drop. And, you know, like we have had now for the last three or four years, very frank conversations about consent, which is 100 percent obviously missing from this film, but missing from most uh, sex education in this country. Oh, yeah. But also like the very real conversation by the time my son is 14, he has probably consumed more pornography just by like how ubiquitous it is right uh than i ever did by the time i was probably a grown-ass adult you know and and so part of sex education at home is having a conversation that porno sex is not real sex you know like in and you can't talk about or treat or act like women are treated in and again i'm not proselytizing you know i don't give a shit when I watch porn, watch porn. It's totally fine. Right. I totally understand. Whatever. But, like, it ain't real, buddy. And right. you can tell that these boys have absolutely no place in reality when it comes to that. Right, yeah. Like, and that's the thing. Like, we, and and because we don't talk about that kind of stuff, or didn't until recently, like, I am, I am thrilled to see much more you know, open, frank discussions in culture broadly about consent and about how you treat people and how you view people and about the male gaze and about all that kind of shit because we didn't talk about it. And, like, you don't have to go to porn to find that stuff, right? Yeah, like, yeah. fucking every movie, every everything is full of this, like, you know, it's full of the male gaze, it's full of, of ways to subtly objectify and dehumanize women and you know and 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 these patriarchal power dynamics that are not cool and never were yeah <laughs> but like but there was no way to see how not okay they were because there was nothing modeling that for you you know yeah. well and, and in that way the game right the game itself fuck mary kill is right. i think deeply problematic oh yeah at least in the context of the the male female relationship like couching it in one of those three categories uh is part of the reason why things are as fucked up as they are right you know like that's their use you either you want to fuck them you want to marry them or you want to kill them and that woof that's monstrous yeah yeah it it really is so yeah I, i love i love the importance of that game that we have discovered. But the, the ultimate question then becomes, right? Like you know, obviously public school and everything else can try to fill in some of the go, those gaps. But I, I, until we convince other parents that having conversations, especially with their teenage boys about consent, I don't know if things are going to ever change. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things where like, you know, I, I hope that, you know, I hope parents are having those kind of, of hard discussions and I hope that schools are teaching better sex ed than we got. They're not really. I'm just going to be here. To yeah, tell you, you know, but I'd like if they were, that'd be great. Yeah. But also like, we also need, you know, we also need movies, maybe not like this one necessarily, but we need movies that show that behavior as monstrous yeah right like that is that is horrible behavior we need not movies that don't lionize people who behave that way right like 
um, which, you know, which is one of those things that like, it comes up in um, discussions revolving around like Guardians of the Galaxy, say, or, or a lot of these, because a lot of these like roguish characters, right, are essentially, they're essentially behaving that way. Exactly, you know? yeah. Um, um, they're, they, they do it in a likable way. Um, and they're not, you know, as obviously monstrous as this kid. But but one of the messages that I took away from this movie is that people like that are always one one not getting their way away from being this kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the, like, I mean, I mean, the ultimate plot device, the ultimate trope, the ultimate thing that we're always exploring, right, is you have these these rogues, these 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 guys that cannot be tamed or, you know, whatever you want right. to fucking, whatever you want to call them. And, uh, I mean, there, there are only two conclusions to that, right? That they will stay wild and you will be a casualty of their wildness or that you can tame them. And both of those things, I think removes agency from the dude, you know, like, right. uh, Hey yeah. man, maybe just choose to not be a dickhead. <laughs> you know, right. like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, you know, we're, we're rewatching, uh, The Good Place. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, like when we have dinner, we'll watch like an episode or something. Sure. Um, and like, it's such a good, it's such a great show. It was a great, it's great so show. good. So yeah. good. But like, one of the really great things about it is like, it's one of the few shows I've ever seen that's just like, hey, selfishness is bad. Actually, don't be fucking selfish, dick. Yeah. Like, yeah, like so many things like fundamentally lionize a form of selfishness. Sure. Um, and, be, and because and, you know, go ahead. And, yep. uh, just in the form of in the form of independence or or mm-hmm. being being these these people who can't be tamed or whatever. Like that's a form of selfishness. You have to get along with people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well and, and I think it goes back to the book I mentioned at the beginning, Tribe, in that we have this responsibility to one another. And at least culturally, we have this significant tension between like being an individual and having freedom and liberty and yada, yada, but also coexisting in this society where like the bottom line is we have to take care of each other. Like it's, it's, it's not a question of morally whether we should or not. Like we either do and we continue to have society or we don't. And then we don't have society anymore. Like it, it's yeah. not really uh, up for debate. And, and yeah, and, and I think uh, this movie kind of highlights, like this little kid's like Patrick Bateman, right? Like uh, yeah. he, he is the, I don't, the, the child version of Galt, right? Like he is that guy. And I think uh, that's part of the reason why I feel so fucking icky is kids are supposed to be sweet, you know, and even when they hit adolescence, they still have these moments of genuine purity and niceness. And uh, this kid passed that threshold, it seems like, at birth. So <laughs> I, I did think his relationship with his best friend was interesting in that it highlighted just how complex relationships between teenage boys or adolescent boys can be. Because okay. they're like best friends, but also beat the fuck out of each other and like take the piss out of each other and, and you know, ultimately uh, the psychopath, you know, fucking kills him. So, right. but you know, I, I kind of thought at least it got that right. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and it, well, and it gets a lot of, it gets a lot of the ways in which 
for boys, I think especially, but I was never not one, so I don't know what it's like for for teenage girls um, or whatever. But like friendships were so, I don't want to say adversarial, but they oh, were they good, were always yeah. about proving yourself a little bit. Like there was yeah. never you couldn't ever let your guard down completely, even with uh-huh. your friends. Right. Um, and yeah. I think this. I think this gets that in a lot of ways and it also gets like it gets the thing where like his friend initially seems like the more um and the more dirty minded the more um you know he's he's more making more crude jokes and so on at the beginning but ultimately like his friend is a nice kid who wants to not be doing this you know yeah yeah he's he's not he's just being a kid and part of being a kid is being pushed into situations where you push boundaries. Right. So that you and, learn who you are, you know. Well, and, and they both engage in that kind of juvenile, like, sex talk, you know, whatever. Right. But, like, it, it, I, I do think that there are a lot of kids that that do that, that especially in, like, dude broy culture, right? Like, oh, I, yeah. I, I, I can attest to that. It wasn't necessarily my bag, but I definitely was around plenty of people that did. And, like... It was, and everybody knows it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. You know, like it's just, it, and I, I don't want to use the frame uh, locker room talk because I'm not the fucking president of the United States and I'm not 70 years old. But like, th- there is a certain expectation of male bravado that if right. you are a dude, dude, like if you grow up in a super like macho house, and I'm sure you engage in that because it's expected. Right. But, but my hope is that's all just fucking bullshit posture, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it reminds me of, um, you know, so, so, uh, there's, there's some discussion about Monster Squad, right? Which a movie I, I love Monster Squad. Yeah. Monster Squad is in many ways a very dated film for a lot of reasons. Um, and one of those reasons is that it is fucking just jammed to the gills with homophobic language, right? Yes. Um, and yet there's nothing specifically homophobic in monster squad just the language right um and having grown up i'm i am the exact same age as the little girl from monster squad right like the actress who played her i am the same age as that actress hey are Um, you tap hey not to interrupt are you tapping the table i might have yeah, I think uh, I think I'm here. Uh, like, Oops, consistent. It's it's fine. Nope, I just didn't want to. I couldn't yeah. hear you the last time. So, okay. Uh, blah blah blah. Continue. Sorry. No. Um. And so, like, I I grew up the same time as those kids, right? And everybody fucking talks like that. Yeah. Right. Um, like like the the kids I knew who were gay talks like that. Like, yeah. You know, we we that's just what everybody did. Like. And I'm not saying that it's okay, it's not, but it is an artifact of a specific time period that definitely was accurate. Yeah, that, I, and I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that, because I was having a conversation with Jack on the way back from school, right? And, uh, like, do you remember when we were in high school, everybody said, like, especially among straight white dudes, because that was who I grew up around, uh... Everybody called each other the F slur for uh, like gay men. Like everybody oh, did that. Yeah. Like all the time. And, and and I was talking to Jack about that, and I was like, that was it wasn't okay. I'm ashamed I did it. Uh, but like fucking everybody did. 
you know yeah. and like I, I i don't know and i think it is it is absolutely important to be conscious of the language choices that we use now and in that way it makes me really optimistic for you know my, like the the children i teach you know the the kind of normal mainstream kids have trans fam- uh like friends and family members so like they have zero issues with you know switching around pronouns very quickly uh they're very open about any of that and hell like they this is the first generation where essentially gay marriage has been legal for most of their adult lives you know right. so or, or you know no, not adult but it, you know right conscious life like conscious aware lives, yeah lives, yes, like their right. lives when they were aware of, of culture and things like that around them like, yeah because it, until you're like i don't know i at least like six or eight like you don't know no. you don't know anything outside your own house not really oh yeah 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 you know so, i mean yeah so uh before we run too late on uh time i did want to mention a couple of things that i think are uh, pretty interesting there's a great if you wanted to know more about how this movie was made and really get to know the director there is a great interview with anthem magazine where they like i don't know it's it's probably two thousand words it's really fantastic so uh I, I would encourage all of you if you wanted a little bit more information uh to check that out so what what are your two movies we'll move on to the last segment that we have here where if we had to ha- say like this movie would influence two more of our picks uh what would they be what what are yours uh so i picked um a movie called ruin me from a few years ago i don't know if you saw it yeah i know it um, yeah okay um like the reason why i picked it is kind of a spoiler for both it and this movie although we already spoiled the shit out of this movie yeah uh... um but uh but yeah i picked it um and then i also picked the ref the I, the I like that pick. I like that pick. Because well, right. it takes place on Christmas and most of the uh-huh. cast spends most of the movie taped to chairs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? So, yeah. And it, 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 like, it is a dark, dark comedy, too. It so. is. Very good. Well, my first pick is a lame pick. Uh, it is, like, I love Christmas, a big Christmas horror, right? So the natural kind of pick to me was Krampus. Uh, it is big, obviously scary Christmas albeit the monster is real as opposed to you know all of the great creature work in krampus but i think pretty good kissing cousin and uh then my second which i'm way more confident in is the netflix horror film that came out i think a couple years ago called the babysitter and it it like uh it's the babysitter is directed by oh what is that guy's name mick g right yeah yep and uh so it has this like super stylized uh look to it really vibrant glossy, colors just incredible yes glossy. yeah and i was trying to figure out why i felt like this movie looked so much like it and i realized that richard hobbs act as the production the head of production design on this film and he was the art director for mad max fury road so like in looking at the vibrancy of both of those movies and everything, I'm like, oh fuck yeah, it totally makes sense, you know. So, uh, and but, also like the the babysitter is kind of this movie backward. Yeah, yeah, so. if you, yeah. If you if you switch the villain and everything else, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But uh, I would also say fun. Um, yeah, it's a blast. Way less problematic, 
probably you know like um, oh, and it's got oh god i don't remember the guy but it's like the one one of the one of the bad guys in the babysitter is this guy who is like the young patrick bateman right and he is so delightfully weird and deadpan in all his deliveries of things like he's like a weird mannequin of a person he's so great i loved him yeah well and uh it also has one of my absolute favorite scream scream queens of all time samara weaving in one of her first kind of big gigs and she just two scenes up in it and i think the babysitter is probably a little bit better version of this film with the villain swipped uh swapped and like there's this weird kind of bizarre almost cartoonish humor in uh better watch out that sometimes tonally is strange right like jarring uh because it's like oh shit like this was really icky and now like we just hit this guy with a you know a, a can of paint and his head exploded which very clearly wouldn't happen but it's very much played off as a big laugh you know kind yeah. of I mean, it's also, I don't know, it's also super gruesome. (laughs) It is, it is. But, like, it's got that big, uh, like, swath of yellow paint that happens right Mm -hmm. afterwards that, like, Mm -hmm. subtly kind of mixes with the blood. Right. Yeah, I I wish if the film was going to do that, then I wish it was going to be big, uh, uh, like, almost Dr. Seussical, like uh, The Babysitter was. Like, because The Babysitter, like, and we get halfway there, too, because all the doorknobs are really, really high in this film because it's an Australian thing and they couldn't really fix it for the American market. So it's always like halvesies, you know? It's like yeah, maybe trying to have its green eggs and ham, green eggs and ham or whatever. So, and cake. I don't fucking, I fucking have before I love, but whatever. Y'all know what I'm saying. You, you know what I mean. I'm just going to give up on this metaphor. Screw it. Right, right. I already belabored the shit out of it. All right. So I think what we've determined uh, as our answer to the question is sex education uh, in public schools is probably not going to cut it. And uh, we need to do more. But good luck in conservative states like the ones that Orrin and I live in. So yeah, be the way it is. But it's also really important. So do it yourselves. Yes, exactly. If you have children, you owe it to them to do that. All right. Anything else that we haven't talked about? I think we got it. All right. All right. Well, where can they uh, find more of your stuff on the web? I am, as always, at uh, Orin Gray at Facebook and Twitter and Letterboxd and Instagram and all those places. And at OrinGray.com. I love it. You can catch my more uh, more of my stuff at SignalHorizon.com, where I am still the editor in chief, and uh, we continue to churn out wonderful, wonderful holiday horror stuff here, deep into simple. Or you can follow me personally at Ty Unsel, where I'm tweeting about uh, horror and politics and education, and sometimes uh, the connection of all three. What are we talking about next time? I believe we are just going to kind of wrap up the year and talk about some of our favorite movies that we saw and books that we read and that kind of junk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm super stoked because I've seen a lot of stuff that I cannot wait to revisit. It's been a wild year, you know, like one of the first years that I think in in a while that uh, I think I saw a single, I think I saw 
for for maybe nine months of it, I saw uh, one movie, and that was Godzilla versus King Kong or Godzilla versus Kong. What a fucking what a year, dude! What a year! Yeah. I can't I can't wait to to go back through and kind of hit some of the highlights. I think uh, it'll be an eye opening conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think I saw every movie that I saw in twenty twenty that came out in twenty twenty one in October. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, like I, I had not seen any until October, and then I saw like eight or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I was you know the one decent thing that that Facebook hellhole is is good for right uh, in my Facebook memories, Nicole, my wife, Jack, my oldest, and I went out the day before Thanksgiving, I think, and saw Knives Out at screenland and uh it was such an amazing night out at the movies you know like everybody loved the movie we talked about like we, i i think nicole and i went out and had a drink and jack was like yeah i want to end like we just talked about the movie and the things that we you know and it was this unique moment in time kind of right before the bottom dropped out like uh you know like it, it was a ways but nonetheless Not you much. know yeah right yeah, so I don't know. It, it'll be fun to kind of revisit the the Wild West that has been twenty twenty one until we get the fucking Wild West that is twenty twenty two. So, yeah. Well, uh, until next time, then. Blast to space.